Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us, and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. Come on, Sub 30, how we doing tonight? Everybody doing well? Hey, while you're clapping, can you help me welcome all of our first-time guests, anyone tuning in online? So glad you guys are with us. Everybody having a good week? Good week? I know most of you can't be depressed. The Jags had a bye week. So we get a week off of being depressed, and now we have uh, one more week where Blake Bortles might throw an interception. So big Jags and Falcons fan right here. Uh, if you guys don't know me, my name is Layton, and uh, for the past four years, my wife and I have had the privilege to serve on staff here at Celebration. We've been pastors within the riot, and it's been the greatest, yeah, riot people over here. Love you guys. Go back to your high school. I'm just kidding. Love them to death. It's been one of the greatest honors of my life to serve the next generation at Celebration Church. Uh, and now we're actually in the middle of a transition. We've just transitioned roles. For four years, we've been riot pastors. And now my wife and I are heading to Fort Lauderdale. We're moving in three weeks, and we're going to be planning Celebration Fort Lauderdale in 2017. So we're super honored to be able to do that. If you guys don't know my wife, you can wave. She hates standing up and doing all that stuff. You know, she doesn't like people. Just kidding. She loves you. She's just very shy. Um, and speaking of Fort Lauderdale, you know, I want to kind of let you guys in on an announcement that we have with Fort Lauderdale. If you could throw up the graphic. Come on, it's already there. Uh, tomorrow within Fort Lauderdale, we're going to have an interest meeting around Fort Lauderdale. This is here in Jacksonville for anyone who needs more information around Celebration Fort Lauderdale. And, and the initial thought and probably the gut reaction and natural response to an interest meeting about Fort Lauderdale is, oh, well, I'm not moving and I'm not going, so I shouldn't go. Um, the only, th there's not only one way to help plant a church. Like with Pastor Clay going to Ireland, a lot of you aren't going to be able to move to Ireland, but there's still many ways that you can support. And, a lot, and tomorrow night, what we're going to do is we want to connect you with the vision of the church, the people on our team, and ways that you can support us. So I would love to have all of you guys tell your friends, anyone who you know who's maybe interested in Fort Lauderdale, who lives in Fort Lauderdale. If you have people who live in Fort Lauderdale, you should come for them so you can catch the heart of the vision, and then maybe you can pass that along to them. Maybe if they're lost, unsaved, uh, that's what our church is going to be for. It's a big party town, so we're super excited. But I would love to have you guys tomorrow night to meet our team at 630 here at the Arena Campus. And if you can't make it, we have a booth in the lobby. We'd love to connect through the after service if you can't make tomorrow. So my wife and our team will be out there, and it'll be a good time. Everybody good? Awesome. Hey, before I move to the Word, anybody bring their Bible? Bring their Bible, bring your notes. Man, you guys are so, so, what, I thought this is like the loudest service at Celebration. Come on, what, what's up with you guys? Y'all need some coffee, need some espresso? Did this debate, presidential debate, just get you down low? Before I move to the word, I want to honor our Sub-30 team. Um, my belief about Sub-30 is that we've had some great days in the past, but the best days are still ahead of us. And I want to honor the team that is going to be leading that charge of Pastor Kelly, Pastor Keith, and uh, Tyler, Pastor Tyler, who's on his honeymoon, having a good old time right now. You guys know I'm talking about, just got married this past Monday. Love you guys. Y'all are amazing. And I'm so excited to see what God does through you guys. Um, it's such an honor to be a part of Celebration and serve alongside of you guys. Pastor Keith is uh, kind of like my black dad. So he's the best. Come on, we're right there. You got your Bible? You got your Bible? You ready to get in the Word? All right, turn with me to John chapter 8. You better wake up or I'm going to come on the floor and slap you. I'm just kidding. There ain't no fighting in here. This is no Donald and Hillary fight. 
No more politics. John chapter 8, when you get there, go to verse 2. We're going to go from verse 2 to verse 11. When you're there, say, go Jags. It's going to be on the screen, so my right and left. If you don't have your Bible, don't worry. We have you covered. John chapter 8, verse 2, it says, Now early in the morning, he being Jesus, came again into the temple. And it says, All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman who was caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say about it? The law says she should be killed. What do you got to say, Jesus? They said this testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. I love this verse. You can underline this, these next four words. Jesus' response to the Pharisees, it says, but Jesus stooped down. And he wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, it said he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, throw the first stone. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, these Pharisees and scribes, being convicted of their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Jesus had raised himself up again and saw, that no, saw no one but the woman. And he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She looks up. She says, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, well, neither do I. Neither do I condemn you. And here's what you do with that. You go right now and you leave this life of sin. I don't condemn you, so go right now and leave your life of sin. Second verse I want to look at. You don't have to flip there. You can just write it down in your notes. It's Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It's, it's speaking of freedom here. I love this passage and love this verse. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's very clear about what God came to set us free for. He said freedom, not happiness, not momentary relief. Not, not just this, this, this vacation from bondage. He said it was for freedom, for liberty, that I came to set you free. And here's how you respond to that. Now you stand firm and don't let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. So now I don't want to speak to you from a message that I've entitled, Look Around. If you're taking notes, we're going to speak around this topic of looking around. We're going to really dig into this word freedom and how it relates to you and I and how it relates to the story in John chapter 8. Before we get there, why don't you pray with me? Lord, we love you. God, I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you for everything that you've given us, God. I know tonight you want to do something special, God. So I pray for, for open hearts, for open ears, for open eyes to see you and you alone, God. Right now, I pray for the Jags. Lord, we have a good chance of making the playoffs because our division's awful, awful. So just give us some type of favor. We've been praying for many, many years. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I got a question by a show of hands. I just got a really ran random question. How many of you, you've ever been caught red-handed doing something? You've been caught red-handed. If you don't know what red-handed means, you've been caught in the act or you've been caught doing something stupid you shouldn't have done. And when I think of this, this concept of being caught red-handed, 
I automatically go back to my seventh grade days when I had a, a bowl cut with a, with a butt part. You know, I'm talking about the, the butt part right down the middle, wearing polos and Sperry's. Seventh grade, and there's a story in seventh grade that I want to share with you. But before I share this with you, I need to preface it with this. And, and none of you can judge me. We're in church. None of you can condemn me. We're in church. This is the house of God. When I was in seventh grade, I was not in the running to be a pastor. I, I was not a Christian at all. Uh, I was kind of one of those little hood rat kids who made a lot of trouble. Tried to be the class clown, tried to be funny, tried to be popular. And when I found myself in seventh grade, I had this teacher and her name was Miss Clark. And what you need to know about Miss Clark is you have had a Miss Clark in your life too. She's one of those teachers who's just straight out of a movie. You know exactly what I'm talking about. She has the big 90s afro, white lady, brown hair, big afro. Glasses as thick as a concrete wall, a striped shirt that is tucked in, jean skirt, you know what I'm talking about, all the way down to her ankles. When you get past her ankles, you can see some white tube socks pulled up to her knees. And after the tube socks, you get some kids with straps. Not, not, not the ties, not the shoelaces, she was with the straps. And Christmas, she got an upgrade and she got some Skechers shape-ups, if you know what I'm talking about. Miss Clark was out of a movie, and her outfit did not stop there. You guys know exactly where I'm going to next. Miss Clark had a fanny pack. This is not a lie. This is not an exaggeration. She was out of Saved by the Bell type teacher. And Miss Clark and I, we had a lot of beef. We didn't really get along too well. Uh, I was a troublemaker. I thought I was a class clown. I was always causing a scene in school. And she was always yelling at me. She was always getting on to me. She was one of those stickler teachers. She always had something to say. She was always on time. Just, you, you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. All of you have had one of those teachers. And if you haven't, you dropped out of school when you're in kindergarten. <laughs> Miss Clark and I just, we, we were like oil and water. We just didn't go well. And one day, Ms. Clark and I had enough. We had more beef than Hillary and Donald. Ms. Clark and I just had enough, and she, had, she was getting on to me. She was teaching at the whiteboard, and I probably threw a spitball at her or something like that. Not that bad. She turns around. She starts yelling at me like she always does every day. She's yelling, 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 and I just had enough. I was like, you know what, Ms. Clark, I'm done. I'm done with you. And as, after she gets done yelling at me, she turns around, and I thought I was going to express myself and tell her how I felt. So I stand on the desk, no lie, stand on the desk and start to express myself in the form of two birds. Standing on the desk. If you don't know what I mean, I told her she was number one with my middle finger. Seventh grade, my teacher has just yelled at me. She's turning around back to the board, and I start expressing myself with two birds flying. Bought it at Target. Buy one, get one free. Here you go, Miss Clark. This is how I feel. And as she turns back to the board, she has a double take and comes back at me one more. You know what I'm talking about? She's, she's like arguing, but she's not done. She like says something, but then she comes back, and she sees me standing on the desk. Middle fingers in the air. Like, I told her I was trying to throw up gang signs. At this point, it was some Wu-Tang or 504 boys. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And she gasped out of disgust. She's like, oh, my gosh. Walks, I, this is a true story. I could not lie here in church. Walks towards me, grabs me by my ear. 
drags me out of the class in front of the whole class. And the way that our school was set up is all the classes were glass. So she starts to drag me through the hallway, and every single class is looking, running to the window. What is happening? My whole class followed me out, just wanted to see what was happening. Like it was now a public forum for everyone to see what happened to Layton. My teacher drags me by my ear to the principal. I am... I'm kind of laughing at this point, but I'm also like embarrassed. I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? She brings me to the principal. She tells the principal what happened. Principal calls my mom. Whole class has come out to the principal's office, peeking through the window. What's going to happen? Oh my gosh, this is so funny. And I went from flicking off my teacher, sorry, Vimeo and all the, all the people who are watching this online, you just had to be here. I went from just had a stupid mistake to now a public scene for my whole school to see. And it went from a moment of just, just being an idiot to now I'm extremely embarrassed, crying in front of my whole school with my mom in the office, completely disgraced, completely humiliated, completely shamed. Like, I, I raised you better than that. What are you doing? And the more that I think of this story, when I, when I told Miss... Miss Fanny Pack, how I felt about her. The more compassion I have for this woman in John chapter 8. What you need to do when you read this story is you need to put yourself in this woman's shoes. Think about this. Jesus is teaching in a town. It says he's teaching in the temple. And all of a sudden, as Jesus is teaching, it says the whole city, it says all were there to hear him teach. The Pharisees and the scribes start to drag a woman through the city for all to see and throw her at the feet of Jesus. These scribes and Pharisees grab the woman. It says she was caught in the act. She was literally caught in the act and thrown at Jesus' feet. And Jesus is teaching, and now he's interrupted by this woman. And the scribes and the Pharisees say, Jesus, what's your response to this? What do you have to say? The law that Moses commanded says she should be killed but you're the son of God respond and before I talk about how Jesus responds to this woman I want you to think about what this woman has just gone through it says she was caught in the act of adultery you guys are college students and even older you understand that there's a good chance if she's caught in the act of adultery she's most likely naked and exposed completely naked completely exposed Taken from the act, being completely exposed, drugged through the whole city for everyone to see, and now thrown as this public scene and public skeptical for everyone to look at. In this day, it's not even just bad to be naked. You couldn't even show your hair if you're a woman. Could you imagine the disgrace? Could you imagine the shame this woman has just gone through? Where she's drugged through a city for all of her friends and family to see that she's now cheating on her husband completely exposed and completely naked. And the scribes and Pharisees say, Jesus, I, I want you to respond to this because how you respond will trap you. So Jesus responds, and his response is so amazing. In verse 6, we see his response. His response has nothing to do with what he said and had everything to do with what he did. There's four words that I want you to think about and catch how Jesus responds to humanity and exposure and nakedness. Because I want you to know that this woman was not the only person caught in the act of being naked and exposed. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sinned. What did they find themselves? Completely naked, completely exposed for everyone to see. And now we've all inherited that nakedness. 
This is our story. This is you and I. And Jesus has a response to that. It says that he stooped down. He didn't say a word to these Pharisees and scribes. He didn't even acknowledge the accusations. It said that he just stooped down and started writing in the dirt. As if he was trying to show us his response to dirt and his response to a mess and his response to humanity finding himself naked. Jesus didn't say a word. He just showed this woman. He starts to write a message in the dirt. And many people talk about what did Jesus write in the dirt. I don't even want to talk about what he wrote in the dirt. I want to talk about why did he write in the dirt. Because what he does here is he shows us his response to dirt and a mess in someone's life. And he starts to write in the dirt as if he's trying to tell us that he's not afraid of your mess. He's not afraid of your dirt. He's actually so willing to get dirty that he became dirt. He became humanity. It says he stooped down and wrote in the dirt. These words, but Jesus stooped down, these four words, is the gospel so clear that when someone needed help to get up, Jesus stooped down and got on a knee and started to help a woman up. And he didn't just stoop from standing to kneeling. He actually stooped from heaven to earth and became sin and filth and dirt for all of you and I. Jesus stooping is the beginning of all of our answers. If Jesus never stooped, we would have no way to stand. And that's exactly why he stooped for this woman. It says he just stooped down. His posture was all we needed to see. His posture was a message in itself. And sometimes God might not give you a clear answer in what he says, but he's asking you to remember of what he did, that he stooped down. And he might not have to say anything because he's done everything. And the Bible says it is finished. So he might not ever have to say anything. He just wants you to look and remember that he stooped. And when he stooped down, it begins to unveil and and uh, just pull apart what this woman is going through. Jesus stoops down in this story, and after he stoops down, Jesus starts to free this woman from a few things in her life. And tonight I want to talk to you about after Jesus stoops down, what he does for her, but also what he wants to do for you and I. There are three things that Jesus wants to free you from in your life that he freed this woman from in John chapter 8. When you look at this story, it says after he stooped, He starts to acknowledge the sin in this woman's life. Point number one, the first thing God wants to free you from is your sin. The first thing, not the only thing. He wants to free you from your sin. And the way that Jesus did that here is this woman is is buried in the dirt. Her head is in the ground. she's, She's buried in the dirt, completely disgraced and humiliated. These scribes and Pharisees have a rock in their hand getting ready to stone her to death. And they say, Jesus, what do you what do you gotta say about this? What do you think? And he starts to show them his response. He says he raised himself up and he looked at him. He says, okay, well, he who has no sin, any of you who have no sin, you throw the first stone. The disciple, the Pharisees heard it. So they were convicted by their conscience and they left one by one. The oldest to the last. One Pharisee, le- Pharisee left. The woman hears a, dro- a rock drop. The next one leaves, she hears another rock drop. The next one leaves, she hears another rock drop. Head still in the dirt. More rocks are dropping. 
And Jesus has just dismissed the Pharisees and the accusations of this woman's life. But what I want you to notice is the Bible's really clear of how he dismissed them. And I'm telling you, you got to catch this. There were Pharisees and scribes surrounding her, lording over her, putting religion on her, saying, if you do this, then you must die. You have to die. The law says this. And when Jesus dismisses religion right here, here's what he dismisses them. He dismisses them one by one. The Bible says the oldest to the last. And what I want you to catch is that in the same way he he dismissed these Pharisees one by one, it's an example of how he dismisses your sin one by one. The Bible's so clear that he said he dismissed the oldest to the youngest. The first sin to the last sin. From beginning to end, past, present, future. And here's what I believe. Many of you think that Jesus has dismissed some of the accusations on your life, but not all of them. Man, if you knew this Pharisee, this accusation standing over me, if you knew what I've done, you would, you would say too that God couldn't dismiss that. I'm here to tell you, in the same way every single Pharisee and scribe left, your sins have, have left. The Bible is so clear that he has cast, he has dismissed your sins as far as the east is from the west. He remembers them no more. The Pharisees and scribes are now gone. Jesus has just freed this woman from the consequence of her sin. Her iniquity is dismissed. She's free. Her sins are gone. The consequence of being caught in adultery is now over. And many people think this is the end of the story. But this is just the beginning. Because Jesus doesn't just want to dismiss you from your sin. Number two, he wants to dismiss you from your shame. Because this woman... This represents the iniquity of her life. But point number two represents the image of what she created. And after Jesus dismisses the accusers, he starts to kneel down again. And he taps the woman on the ground. And he says, ma'am, where are those accusers? Look up. Where are they? The things that used to stand around you, are they here anymore? Are they here? I don't condemn you either. And Jesus doesn't leave the woman with her head on the dirt. Because what I believe is that the enemy, if he can't keep you in the act of sin, he wants to keep your head in the dirt. Remembering the vision and the image of what you used to be and what you used to do. What shame does is it takes a moment of activity and turns it into identity. And if this woman never raised her head then she would have never been freed from the sin, from the shame. She had to see the picture. Jesus told this woman, look around and see if they're here anymore, and they're not. Look around and see where your sins are. They're gone. Look around and see where the accusations are. They're gone. And some of you, you're like this woman. Jesus has freed you from your sin and freed you from the iniquity. But can I just be clear? Most of you college students have yet to be freed from the shame. And your head is still in the dirt. And you've let God dismiss the accusers, but you've re-invited them back to the table. Man, they deserve to be here. I put them here. Yes, you did, but that's why he came. To save you of all of your sin. The sacrifice of Jesus says it's good once and for all. It's done. So here's what you can't do. 
You cannot allow Jesus to dismiss these accusers and stay down in the dirt. Because what shame does is turns one mistake into two. It turns from who you are, from what you've done, into who you are. And when I have shame in my life, let's, we all have shame, we all have guilt, we all have condemnation that comes in our mind. I want to help you with something about how to respond to shame. When shame comes, who does it come from? The enemy. When the enemy brings shame to your life, I just think it's, you just got to consider the source. Like, who was telling me this? Consider the source. So, so you, enemy, you're trying to tell me that I'm doing a bad job on earth when you couldn't do it in heaven. So, so your, your fall from heaven is, is better than my stumble on earth. Consider the source. When shame comes in your life, you need to know who is whispering in your ear. Because if there's ever guilt and there's ever condemnation and there's ever shame, the Bible is really clear that he's dismissed them all and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when the enemy comes chirping in my ear, I chirp right back and remind him there are no accusers. There are no Pharisees. There are no scribes. Stop trying to talk to me about my mistakes on earth. You couldn't do it in heaven when it was perfect, when, it, when everything was going good. You were the archangel and you still couldn't survive. I'm doing all right. I'm going to keep walking. You'll never stop me. Shame's not going to keep me here. Sub 30, I'm trying to tell you, just pick your head up and look around and realize that they're gone. Stop trying to bring them back to the situation and the, and the instance in your life. There are no accusers surrounding you. They're gone. He remembers them no more. So you need to forget about it too. It's done. I know you made a bad mistake. So what if you had an abortion? No sin is greater than the other. Jesus became it all. And he dismissed it all. If you'll just look up and look around and say, man, they're no longer here. You'll be so free. Thank you so much for doing that. Can we give her a hand? I know her. I'll take, thank you so much. I'm taking this one from you. I think, so when we did this at the riot retreat, uh, Gina, who's here in the front row, her legs fell asleep from kneeling for so long. So that's why I dismissed her. And point number two, I love that Jesus dismisses the shame you have on yourself. But he doesn't stop there. There's another audience of shame that he frees people from. He frees the Pharisees and the scribes from the shame they have on others. Because what these Pharisees and scribes did is they stood around this woman with a rock in their hand waiting to stone her to death. And Jesus dismisses them. And I think you got to notice what Jesus and what the word of God describes as the instrument that they have to kill this woman with. It says that they had to pick up a rock and stone her to death. You need to think about when else the Bible talks about a rock. In the book of Matthew, Jesus speaks about a rock when he's talking to Peter. And he tells Peter, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. A rock is going to be a church that's a foundation for people's lives. And so when you shame others, what you are now doing, which you don't realize you're doing, but you're now doing, is you're taking a foundation that's supposed to be under someone's feet and now beating them over the head. What's supposed to build people up is now beating them down. And we have now taken the job of the enemy, the accuser of the brethren. 
Rather than being an advocate for grace, now we're accusing people with judgment and sin. When is that ever our job? If Jesus dismissed our accusers, then he can surely dismiss theirs. And what I think is happening is a lot of you, because it just happens in our generation, a lot of you love to throw shade on people. You love to put people on blast. And what you're doing is you're walking around the church with a rock in your hand. And instead of allowing it to be the foundation for someone's feet, now you're beating them over the head. Put it down. What I think happens in the church is the enemy is going around the church looking for rocks to stone people, but the church members have them in their hands. And now he has found himself in the unemployment line because he has no job here. Because now we have taken his job by shaming other people. When you gave your life to Jesus, you gave up all your rights to shame. We don't condemn anything because we weren't condemned for anything. So sub 30, put down the rock. Put it down. Put it down for your family who is unbelievers. Put it down for your friends who don't agree with what you do. It's not going to get them in church. What's going to help them is when you put it under their feet and allow it to be a stepping stone rather than a stumbling block. Put down the rock. Jesus frees this woman. The band can go ahead and join me. From the iniquity. From her sin. But he doesn't stop there. And he's not going to stop there with you. He wants to free you from the image and the shame that your sin has put on your life. But lastly, and I think most importantly for a a college generation, a young adult, 18 to 30, is that he frees you from your slavery. In the last verse, when Jesus tells this woman what to do, he's very gracious in getting down in the dirt. He's very gracious in lifting her head. But then he has a moment of truth because he said he was full of grace and truth. And he tells this woman, here's what you got to do with freedom. You got to leave right now. You, you can't do it anymore. And you got to leave this life of sin. I know you used to find yourself in that. I know you used to be a slave and, and, and be in bondage to this yoke. But you have to leave it right now. I've given you the authority. Go leave this life. Jesus was telling this woman in modern terms, you're free. Start living like it. Sub 30, you're free. Start acting like it. You're free. Start dating like it. You're free. Start posting like it. You're free. Start talking like it. You're no longer a slave. Stop sleeping around like it. You're no longer a slave. You're free. Now live like it. The Bible in Galatians, it tells us what freedom is for. It's for freedom. When Jesus speaks to this woman in John chapter 8, what I love is that he doesn't just speak to the moment she found herself in. He speaks to the lifestyle she's been in. Because what I know and what I believe is that freedom that is only found in a moment is not freedom. That's relief. God does not put band-aids on bondage. This is just for a moment. This is just for happiness. This is just for your situation in this time. God removes the chains. He takes you out of Egypt and leads you to a promised land. God does not just speak to the moment or the sin or the situation. He speaks to who you are and the life you're living. 
The Bible is so clear. It's for freedom that you've been set free. You're not a slave anymore, Sub 30. I, I strongly want to encourage you that. Change your mindset. You're not a slave. But the hard thing about realizing that you're free is the way to live like it. It's one thing to know you're free. It's a whole nother thing to live like it. Think about slaves from any nation at any time. There are progressions of slavery. And many, many people, even in our nation, when you think of our nation in the early 1900s, when slaves were set free, many slaves became this thing called indentured servants. And what that means is that through their whole life, they've, raised, they've been raised in bondage. Through their whole life, they were raised as slaves. Through their whole life, all they knew is that they had a master who told them what to do. And when they were given the freedom to be free, to have liberty, to be equal, many of them didn't know what it looked like. So they would waste time and walk around and, and they would have no idea what to do with freedom. And what many of them did is become indentured servants. Indentured servants would go back to a previous master and say this, I, I don't know how to be free. So what I'll do is I'll serve you how I used to, but just give me a small compensation. I really don't know what freedom looks like, so I'll accept what I used to do. I'm now an indentured servant, and the master I was freed from is still my master, but all he's doing is throwing me a bone. And what I think happens with many of you is you've been free from enemy and free from the bondage of sin. But because you don't know anything else but bondage, you've gone back and now you're indentured servants in your relationship with Jesus. And your previous master still calls the shots, but the enemy throws you a little compensation. He might not have your soul, but he could have your works. God wants to free you from slavery. He doesn't want to just free you from this act and this consequence and this shame. He wants this to never be your life again. So what happens in my life is old masters and previous masters come knocking on my door all the time. But here's what I know about being free. When, a new, when an old master knocks on my door and this master called fear says, Leighton, I'm here to talk, I know that I don't have to listen to them anymore. You weren't my master. So just because they knock on my door does not mean I have to answer. Because I have been, been given liberty. The Bible tells me for whom the sun sets free is surely free indeed. Not free for a moment. Not free for a situation. Not free on vacation. Freedom is not a vacation. Freedom is a lifestyle. It is eternity. It is for all time. So here's what needs to happen in your life. When those old masters keep knocking on your door and lust says, hey, I want to speak to you, don't answer. When an old boyfriend comes knocking on your door who used to run your life, who used to rule you, who made you a person who does not have any self-worth, any, any identity, they've abused you. When they come knocking on your door, leave them at the door. When anger comes knocking at your door, remind them you're not my master. I can't serve two masters. And the master I'm going to choose is my maker. I'm not going to choose the manipulator because there's a, ma a master who's a manipulator, but there's also a master who's a maker. And it says all things were created in him and through him and by him. And so if you're looking for a purpose, you're never going to find it in this old master of fear. You're never going to find it in an old master of social media 
or fashion or self-image. You want to find freedom, it's found in Jesus Christ and Him alone. The reason I'm here tonight is because I think many of you have found yourself in one of those three categories. And a lot of you might be freed from the sin that you used to have, but your head's still in the dirt. And you can't get over the image of what you used to be and what you used to do. Or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but you're serving the wrong master. I'm here to tell you Jesus not only wants to free you from your sin, but he's not done there. He wants to take your shame, and he wants to take you from your slavery. With every head, every head bowed, every eye closed, I just simply feel like some of you need to respond to what the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart. We're going to let him speak. This is his platform. This is his church. This is, you are his people. So I just ask that the Holy Spirit speaks to you about maybe what you have yet to be free from. But I know without a doubt that many of you are still in one of those three categories. Freedom is not just where you'll spend eternity. He wants you to have it on this side of heaven too. So if you're in here tonight, I want to ask you, maybe you need to be freed from the sin, the iniquity that you have in your life. You've yet to give God your sin and your life. You need to respond. Maybe you're in here and you still are wrestling with the image of shame. And you, can, you cannot get over what you used to do. And what you used to do haunts you at night. It haunts you in the morning. It haunts you when you walk into church that you were not worthy. You were not good enough. You'll never be forgiven. And maybe some of you, you're just still slaves to an old master. And it's very simple. The prison doors are open. You just got to walk out. If that's you tonight, and you say, I know that God wants to free me from one of these three things, I just want you to raise your hand right now. Hands up everywhere. I'm going to ask everybody to stand on their feet. I want to read this verse, and we're going to go into worship. And I'm going to ask you to do something that maybe you're not comfortable with. Christianity is not about comfort. God is not concerned with your comfort. He's worried about your character. And maybe some of you, your next step to find freedom is found in a moment of uncomfort. The Bible, in this story, when God speaks to this woman, after he gives her grace, he starts to give her truth. And he gives her this one command of go right now and leave your life of sin. And for those of you who raised your hands, here's your next step. You're going to come down front. And when you walk down front, what that's representing is that this old life you used to have, I'm leaving right there. It doesn't come with me anymore. Those chains that used to hold me and entangle me are staying there. This prison door that I used to find myself in is staying there. But when I walk down front, it is a, a way of me showing my faith in God that it is for freedom that I've been set free. And nothing short of that. So if you're one of those people who raised your hand, I want you to come down so I can pray with you right now. Take, just come now. Go now. So proud of you guys. Come on, let's make room. Come on, yeah, let's give it up. Keep coming, keep coming. Let's make some room. 
I'm proud of you guys. This is a huge step. Come on, let's make some room for people in the aisle. There's still people coming down the aisles. We can still cheer. We can cheer for 30 seconds. This is amazing. This is life change. Chains are being broken. Prison doors are being left right now. If you're down here, I just want you to know that the, the experience the woman had with John in John chapter 8 is not just her story. It can be yours too. Tonight can be the night where you leave the life you used to have forever. So in a moment of just surrender and sacrifice, why don't you raise your hands to God? We're going to go into this worship song, but I just pray that you press in. Don't worry about the person to your right, to your left. Don't worry about the sin that you created. Worry about the Savior that came to lift you, to pull you, to lift the head of the discouraged one. So right now, Lord, we lift you up. We praise you. We honor you. God, I pray for every single person in here that you will set them free because you say for whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Lord, so I pray your Holy Spirit fill every person. God, I pray right now we rebuke the enemy. We rebuke every attack. God, I pray for grace and mercy to triumph over judgment every single day. God, I pray for your mercy to fill us. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.